The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I'm the Senior Assistant Minister and Executive Minister at Christ Universal Temple uh, in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. The Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister, and, you know, if you want to check out Christ Universal Temple and see more about what Reverend Wells and his team are uh, are doing, you can go to www.cutemple.org or connect to us on the Christ Universal Temple digital app. If you go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, you can go to look up Christ Universal Digital, Christ Universal Digital. So, all right. So we're in the midst of a series titled Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, which is based upon the book of the same title by T. Harv Ecker. And basically, the book is about mastering the inner game of wealth. And the inner game of wealth, according to T. Harv Ecker, is the psychology of wealth, the psychology of money, the psychology of prosperity. In other words, what type of mindset, what type of paradigm, what type of context do you have around money? And what he does is challenge belief systems that he feels as though are not consistent with wealth thinking with a prosperity consciousness. Now, I start off all the shows, first of all, by saying that I want you to get the book. I don't know T. Harv Edgar. I don't know anything about him. And I do want to just acknowledge that it's important that you know that if you get the book and you're able to just work with it and pray with it and meditate and then, you know, you know, fill out or answer the questions at the end of each point or principle that he's teaching, it'll help you become more aware of who you, um, because of who you are, you know, in other words, how you tick, I apologize. Something just popped up and distracted me for a second. Uh, anyway, so get the book, get the book, get the book, secrets of the millionaire mind, get the book. And if you're open to it, you will discover your own inner beliefs about wealth. 
if you're open. Also, last week, I offered a 21-day challenge. For those who want to know more about that, listen to the show last week, which was basically about writing the affirmation that I, I gave last week for 21 days and affirming, writing it on a sheet of paper, then, then, then affirming it, writing it, and then affirming it for a full sh- every day on a full sheet of paper for 21 straight days to help develop this prosperity mindset. So you can listen to last week's show to get more details on the 21-day challenge. All right, so let me get into the book. Page 52, again, I always read this first because I want to make sure that anybody that's coming to the show for the first time will have a context for the show. First of all, it says, I do not believe that rich people are better better than poor people. They are just richer. These are his caveats. He wants to make sure you understand. Second, when I discuss rich, poor, and middle class people, what I'm referring to is their mentality, how different folks think and act rather than the actual amount of money they've got or their value to society. Third, I will be generalizing big time. I understand that not all rich and not all poor people are the way I'm describing them to be. Fourth, for most part, I will not be referring to the middle class specifically because middle class people usually have a mix of rich and poor mentalities. Fifth, several of the principles in this section may appear to deal with deal more with habits and actions than with ways of thinking. Finally, I'm going to ask you to be willing to let go of being right. What I mean by this is be willing to let go of having to do it your way. So let's jump in where we left off, which was going on to page 71. And it states that are you willing to work 16 hours a day? Rich people are. Are you willing to work seven days a week and give up most of your weekends? Rich people are. Are you willing to sacrifice in your family, your friends, and give up recreations and hobbies? Rich people are. Are you willing to risk all of your time, energy, and startup capital with no guarantees of return? Rich people are. So that doesn't mean that people who don't have money don't work long hours because many times a person can have multiple jobs. The real question is doing it in the pursuit of wealth, in the pursuit of success, not in the pursuit of survival only. You know, sometimes people are doing what they feel as though they have to do instead of what they choose to do to produce certain results. Certain results. All right. Now, of course, you have the opposite end of the spectrum, which is which is people who want wealth and success with no effort. You know, you know, they're all good with being rich and and, and powerful and successful if it doesn't require a lot of effort, if they still get to watch all their TV shows, if they get to scroll and play on their social media for hours a day. That's no big deal. If they get to randomly waste time. What I'm saying is that won't get you where you need to be. Anything that you desire in life is going to require some level of sacrifice. And that doesn't mean that you have to sacrifice your family and friends, whatever. But it does mean that at times you're going to miss some things. I can remember when I first got into New Thought and I decided that I wanted to be a teacher at, in the Universal Foundation for Better Living, 
Christ Universal Temple is the mother church of that organization. And when I got into the program, it was a couple of things that had to happen. One, there were going to be things that I was just going to miss. You know, you know, I was, you know, I went into the program at age 22. That means there were parties I was going to miss. There were functions, et cetera, because there were times where I had to study for tests or write papers and it was no way around it. It was, you know, and it got to the place to where, you know, I'm reading, you know, I had three classes a week, you know, and correspondence courses. We had tests, including pop quizzes and midterms and finals and all of this stuff to become licensed to become a spiritual teacher. It was a two-year program. And it was sacrifices that had to be made. But the idea was it was the energy that I was using was toward a particular thing. Many times we're, we're, we're utilizing our energy with no main goal. If the main goal is only to survive, pay the bills, and take care of the responsibilities, then that energy that you're using to do that sooner or later could possibly turn into burnout because it's not focused towards anything in particular. What I'm saying is allow your vision and your ambition and your desire and your dream to pull you. Don't let the fear of of life crashing on you push you. Allow the higher ambition to pull you. It's important because when you do it this way, your energy is different because of the meaning you give a thing. Now, he's, now what I'm really talking about is being committed to a goal. Being committed to a goal. Being committed to a goal. On page 71, they quote W.H. Murray, or he quotes W.H. Murray. I love this quote. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy. The chance, the chance to draw back, always in effectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary, elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves to. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, and material assistance, which no man could have dreamt would have come his way. What is he saying? T. T. Harv Ecker says the best on the bottom of page 71. In other words, the universe will assist you, guide you, support you, and even create miracles for you. But first, you have to commit. It won't move before the commitment. Life won't move before the commitment. Life won't move before the commitment. And the biblical story of the Red Sea, the water didn't split until the Hebrews walked into the water. Matter of fact, when when they were complaining that the Red Sea is in front of us and the armies of Egypt are behind us, Moses cried out to God according to the story. And according to the story, God said, why do the people cry for me? Tell them to go forward. The water split when the commitment was made and not a moment before. What are you waiting on to line up before you get committed to what you really desire in life? 
I'm saying to you really and literally the commitment comes first. Then providence moves. Then the universe moves. Really think about it. Really think about it. Les Brown says, you have to learn how to keep the main thing the main thing. Many times what we do is we get distracted by life. And, you know, I was just um, having this um, back and forth the text or social media inbox something with a minister buddy of mine who was saying or replying to an article that I sent to a few friends around our technology controlling us now. I have a goal. I know what I want to do, how I want to do it. Then the text message comes, the email, the Facebook inbox, the Instagram inbox, the Twitter notification, the Snapchat, the, the call, the something. And how quickly we can get off of our train of thought. And sometimes not just off of our train of thought, totally into some new space or totally distracted because we can't allow a notification to go unaddressed. There are people who are literally killing themselves driving on streets because they can't let a text go by. Uh, just yesterday, I was driving down the street and I was about to get over. I was going to, there was a person that was driving and I wanted to get over and I, I, I was level with the, this woman and I was going to just drive up and get over because I needed to turn. But instead, I slowed down and got behind her. Why? Because she had a cell phone on the steering wheel texting while she was driving the whole time. And then when we stopped, that person almost hit the person that was in front of her at the light because she was just looking down at her phone. It's not that serious. It's just not that serious. Now, why am I bringing that up as, as something? Because you have to figure out what your distractions are. And for many people, Notification, 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 or debating people wanting to be right or making sure you get your point or having to see that funny text or having to reply ends up being what trips people up. All right. And let me just add this extra point. If you can scroll on social media and read stuff for hours it should be no reason why you can't read a book for 15 minutes a day all right page 73 now on page 72 there are questions and actions that people have to take and i want you again to get the book and do the questions yourself i'm not giving the questions on the show because i feel as though if i do that then you may or may not get to it but if you like what what you're hearing, you get the book and you'll do the, the questions, the actions that he's asking you to take uh, specifically at the end of each of these wealth files. All right. Wealth file number four, rich people think big, poor people think small. Uh, he goes on to say, we once had a trainer teaching at one of our seminars who went from a net worth of 250000 to over $600 million in only three years. When asked his secret, he, he said, everything changed the moment I began to think big. I refer you to the law of income, which states you will be paid in direct proportion to the value you deliver according to the marketplace, to 
the marketplace. Mm, that's a very good point. The value you deliver to the marketplace. Just because you want to get paid more does not mean you should be paid more. What's the value you bring to the marketplace? In other words, how replaceable are you? And I'm going to give you an example. Uh, I used to be one of those people who used to complain about how much uh, athletes get paid. I'm like, how can they pay a person all this money to play basketball or football and they don't pay teachers and nurses and whatever? Then I had a conversation with somebody one day and it shifted my mentality. Now, I still think teachers and nurses and other people and healthcare folks and all of whatever should be paid more money. I still believe that because if you don't invest in people capital, then what are you really doing? And if you don't invest in your children, what are you really doing? But I had this conversation about football quarterbacks and the guy said, the reason why football uh, NFL quarterbacks are paid so much money is because they're so few people who can do what they do in the whole world and that creates value so and i'm talking about american football not soccer tom brady or peyton manning or now uh you know uh, whoever the different elite quarterbacks are aaron Rodgers, or in the past a dan marino or joe montana they could do they had a skill set that maybe two or three people on the whole planet could match that created value. So when they say, okay, well, I want to get paid $25 million to throw a football. How many people could throw a football where the whole defense is trying to stop you while they're trying to sack you or knock you down or knock the pass down or intercept you. And you can do it against the most elite players at all the positions. Everybody that plays the sport around the world, but especially in the United States are all geared towards developing the skill at their position. And this one elite position uh, allows them to be be able to execute the game plan and things beyond the game plan in a way that almost nobody else can do. That's value. You know, it's a, it's a reason why, you know, uh, uh, LeBron James or Kevin Durant and et cetera, get these $40 million basketball contracts because they're people playing basketball all, all over the world, but they can't do what LeBron James does or what Michael Jordan used to do or, or Magic Johnson or Larry Bird. Why, why am I using this as an example? Because I, I had to shift my mentality from thinking like the herd, everybody else, to when you create value and you can perform at a level that can that is higher and above or you can produce results. That's a better term. You can produce results better than above average, then you should be paid like you can produce results above the average. Bottom line. You should be paid like it. And that's what he's saying about the marketplace if if what you do is easily replaceable 
then you're not going to get paid a lot to do it. You know, when you go to the fast food places and they put the buttons, this is the fry button, this burger. When I talk about anything, I worked minimum wage jobs when I was a kid, et cetera. And I'm not talking about, this isn't an argument about how much they should be paid or not paid versus wage because that's a big thing in the United States. I'm talking about from the standpoint of value. How many people can you teach to be a, uh, a cashier or the fry person at a fast food place versus a more technical job or a more technical career or a person that can open businesses or a person who can, who can, you know, engineer space shuttles or a person that can make billions of dollars in investment. Inherently, as a human being, they're not more valuable than another person. Again, that's why the caveat. But what I am saying is it allows you to start to think about what you do and how easily is it replaceable. Because there are always going to be people who are going to say, can this be done cheaper and faster with less investment? It's always going to happen. And it's happening right now. Jobs are being outsourced out of the United States. I, don't, I can't speak to, about other countries. I'm not as well versed in some of that. And, you know, some of these people are being paid wages that I think are ridiculously low. But that's just my opinion. But it's easily replaceable. So Reverend Ike used to have a statement. He used to say, the more you use your mind, less you you'll have to use your behind. And basically, in other words, you will labor harder. Now, physical labor does not mean that you're not using your mind. I have buddies that are electricians, that are bricklayers, that are, uh, uh, you know, I have a brother who drives, who's an operator. In other words, he drives the big machines that move the earth and do this and dig that and whatever. And it takes high-level skill. So, of course, he's going to be paid more than the person who's outside with the shovel, it just makes more sense. If you can drive every machine, you're going to get paid more than the person that's standing outside with the shovel to dig the, the hole or put dirt in the hole. Value. Start to look at your skill set and what value you bring. Now, here's the thing. and He doesn't mention this in the book, but I want to bring it up as a point. Your 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 attitude is a skill. Your disposition is a skill. Your positive, if you have one, mindset is a skill. In other words, there are some people who are so radiant with their positive mindset, with their loving disposition, that they make it and their ability to get stuff done consistently that people will figure out a way to keep you around. People will figure out a way to promote you. People will figure out a way to help you with your idea. People will figure out a way to help you with your business venture because that consciousness is going out and getting everything that corresponds with its own vibe, vibrational tone, and bringing it back to your experience. So one of the ways of thinking big is 
having a consciousness that actually makes it easier for people to say, no, we need that person here. Or, I want to do business with this person. Because not only will you get results, but people have a, people who are open and receptive to it. It's not everybody. People who are open and receptive to it uh, in key positions will be drawn to that. And if that person, if you're in a situation where those people aren't around, you'll be drawn to that which you need to be drawn to so you can do what you need to do. All right. So back to the book. He says the key word is value. It's important to know that four factors determine your value in the marketplace. Supply, demand, quality, and quantity. I'm going to read them again. Supply, demand, quality, and quantity. In my experience, the factor that presents the biggest challenge for most people is the quantity. The quantity factor simply means how much of your value do you actually deliver to the marketplace. That's key. So you can be highly skilled, know what you do, etc. But if you don't consistently deliver your value to the marketplace, you won't be able to benefit from your expertise, from your skill set, from your talent, from your consciousness of, of, of abundance. And he gives examples of some people speak to 20 people, some people speak to hundreds, and then people speak to thousands of people. Now, the person who's speaking to thousands of people will be paid more most of the time. Don't play small. Do you want to play in the big leagues? How can you maximize your talent? Now, here's one of the things that he doesn't mention in the book, but I'm going to mention because I think it does matter. If you're right now challenged with figuring out how to play bigger, go volunteer in, with someone or an organization that will allow you to play bigger and learn with a what I'm calling a net. You know, like with the trap, flying tramp, trapeze uh, people. You know, they have, they swing and it's a net underneath them. Well, go out and look, start looking at organizations that are doing some of the things you want to do and go volunteer. Go figure out how to go give that speech. Go get that talk. Learn the skill sets. Learn the things that you need to learn through doing. And if you do it that way, you can develop the skill set on somebody else's dime, as Lord knows if you can get paid to do it, that's even better. I always tell people, you can get paid, if you can learn how to be a leader, how to manage people and other things on somebody else's dime, that's always better. But you want to figure out how to learn the game of value. And sometimes you just got to go out there and do it in a different way. I'm trying to give you some alternatives to doing it. So it looks like it's time for our break. So um, we're going to take this quick break for a few minutes and we'll be right back with True Transforms. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Ogan Holder, taken from a talk at Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts. Vulnerability is very uncomfortable, but as we know from so many teachings by so many people and from our own experience, the only way we will ever experience true connection is to be vulnerable, to be open. And to say, but what we say to ourselves, but when we're vulnerable, we risk being hurt. Well, you only risk being hurt, again, if you don't get a full understanding of how love works. Nothing and no one can hurt you. Nothing and no one is against you. And everything that happens in your life, as I always say, and I will always say, so if I keep saying it and you keep hearing it and you get tired of me hearing it, I apologize, but everything happens in our life as an opportunity for us to show up as God. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Fifty years ago, on July 20th, Apollo 11 made its historic landing on the moon with astronaut Buzz Aldrin carrying the prayer for protection. The little prayer written by Unity poet James Dillett Freeman still speaks to us today. The light of God surrounds us. The love of God enfolds us. The power of God protects us. The presence of God watches over us. Wherever we are, God is. Read more of the story at unity.org slash prayer for protection. Ready to roll the dice? Check out the new intention dice from Unity. Five dice, different colors, each with words that can prompt you to set an intention for the day, create an affirmation, or journal your thoughts. Roll the green die for abundance and see what comes up. Enriched, worthy, generous. Blue for health. Energetic, whole, radiant. Five dice, limitless possibilities for your life. Find them at unity.org slash dice. Enroll in the Mystery School with Maggie Whitehouse every Monday at 2 p.m. Central. Based in the U.K., Maggie is a maverick priest, comedian, and writer that'll introduce you to all things mystical. Join in the conversation with some fascinating guests and explore topics like Kabbalah, the divine feminine, shamanism, and a lot more. Explore some new ideas and provocative topics, all delivered with a sense of humor. Check out our online schedule or get the podcast on demand here on unityonlineradio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. We're in the midst of Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Ecker. And, you know, we're just getting into some of these uh, deeper points. So, again, we just talked about quantity and making sure that you figure out a way to get your skill set out, get your product out, get your business out, get your talents and abilities out there at a higher level, at a higher rate. What ends up happening is we don't get out there strong enough. 
you know, you got to get out there. You got to be willing to put yourself on the line. He says it this way. Most people choose to play small. Why? First, because of fear. They're scared to death of failure and they're even more frightened of success. Second, people play small because they feel small. They feel unworthy. They don't feel they're good enough or important enough to make a real difference in people's lives. But hear this. Your life is not just about you. It's also about contributing to others. It's about living true to your mission and reason for being here on this earth at this time. It's about adding your piece of the puzzle to the world. Mm. All right. Then he quotes page 75, Buckminster Fuller. The purpose of our lives is to add value to the people of this generation and those that follow. All right. So then he gives a definition of an entrepreneur, which I think is really, really key. Really, really key. He says, do you know the definition of an entrepreneur? The definition we use in our programs is a person who solves problems for people at a profit. That's right. The entrepreneur is nothing more than a problem solver. So let me just stop here for a second. If you want to figure out how you can use your skill set, your talents, your abilities, your experience, your education to gain wealth, I suggest that you find a problem and solve it. What do I mean? Every time you see a situation of innovation, somebody prospers if they know what they're doing. You know, uh, Bill Gates wanted a personal computer in every home. He didn't create personal computers, but he wanted, you know, he didn't even, he, you know, he didn't create computers or the personal computer. But he wanted a personal computer in every home. Therefore, with that intention, he was able to create products that allowed him to benefit from the mass marketing of not only uh, personal computers. Now, here's the thing. Bill Gates is not in the computer making business. Bill Gates is in the software business. He doesn't make computers. That's why uh, Microsoft, uh, you know, the, the I forgot what they call the, um, they have different programs through the years of uh, what they call their operating system. But the Microsoft operating system can function on multiple types of computers. He created value. He created value. Steve Jobs, when he created the iPod, people were walking around with CD, CD Walkmans. Put your CD in, you would have a case of CDs, and you would listen to your different songs. And he said, I wanted to give people 1,000 songs in the palm of their hands. That was the original idea for the iPod. This little small thing would have your whole musical selection plus more in the palm of your hand. Then he wanted to put all of that and a camera and the internet and all this other stuff on a phone. We call it the iPhone now, which created the smartphone revolution. So he benefited from it. He didn't create the first, uh, Steve Jobs didn't create the first tablet. 
There were tablets before the iPad, but he figured out that the tablet has to be for the imagination of human beings and for play and for fun, along with being able to do all the other work stuff. Therefore, the iPad dominates the market. Now, where's your innovation? If you are working at a, a job right now, what are you bringing that not only benefits and handles your job and your responsibility, but can do it in new and creative and innovative ways? Or what ideas are you developing or what experiences are you getting that you can take when you leave that experience to be able to do your own thing? Or can you do both? Why not? See, we have to we just have to take the the inhibitors off of our minds. We have to take the inhibitors off. If you solve problems, you make things easier. One of the things that one of the best things you can ever do for someone who uh, is is busy is to make life easier for them. You make life easier. These people of great wealth, they they like to be catered to. They have a lot of responsibilities, and they, when they find people who can make their lives easier, they jump on it. I never forget years ago, I was um, with somebody at the John Hancock Building downtown Chicago, and you know one of these offices, you know, really high up, and I'm not gonna say the man's name whose office I was in, but he he was a, a very important person in media. And his assistant was retiring and he was looking for another assistant. And they had some ideas about who they wanted to, um, or one particular person that they wanted to bring on who they believe had the work ethic. Now, this was interesting. As this guy went through his various um, um, positions, CEO of this, CEO of that, CEO of this, CEO of that, director of this, director of that. He took the same assistant with him everywhere he went. And as he got the pay increases, so did she. As he got bigger offices, she got bigger offices. And he took care of her for 30 years and paid her well because he figured out that she made his life easier. She handled the business. She took care of all the things. She anticipated things. And what that did was created for her the ability to climb with him. There are times when we climb uh, up the ladder of success and we can't take the people with us that are closest to us because they don't have the skill set and they don't get the results we need. So we can love them, but they don't get the results. And it makes a difference. Results matter. You want to produce wealth? Results matter. Can you solve the problems? So he asked the question. So I asked you, page 75. So I asked you, would you rather solve problems for more more people or fewer people? If you reply more, then you need to start thinking bigger and decide to help massive numbers of people, thousands, even millions. The byproduct is the more people you help, the richer you become mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and definitely financially. 
again, the more people you help, the more you can achieve what you need. Then he gives a quote from Marianne Williamson, who is actually running for the president of the United States right now, from her book, A Return to Love, where she wrote, you are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We are born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give our other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Now, most people think that's a Nelson Mandela quote because he read that quote when he was elected president of South Africa. But it's not all around that time. I mean, I said that was definite. Nelson Mandela quoted that quote. But what she's saying is we play small and it's not helping ourselves or the world. Give people the the inspiration of your own example. He says it this way. The world doesn't need more people playing small. It's time to stop hiding out and start stepping out. It's It's time to stop needing and start leading. It's time to start playing the game of life in a big way. Big thinking and big actions lead to having both money and meaning. The choice is yours. All right, so we're going to go into wealth five, number five, wealth file number five now. But before we do, I forgot to give my commercial earlier, so let me give that right now. Uh, Anyone listening to this show, um, we want to, first of all, thank you and acknowledge your support. But I'm also going to say to those who freely receive, please freely give. Go to unityonlineradio.org or the shortcut unity.fm and click on the donate button and help support this online ministry that sends this message across the world. Also a reminder that this show has a Facebook page, Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. My request is that you like the page uh, and share it with other people. Make sure that you, or my request is that you give it a five-star rating and you write a positive review. It helps with the algorithms. If you listen to this show on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher, my request yet again is that you give it a five-star review or and write a positive review, five-star rating and write a positive review. Again, it helps with the algorithms. Finally, when, make sure that you tune in to Christ Universal Temple via our app, Christ Universal Digital, which I mentioned earlier, which you can find on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. You can watch our live stream on it, which is 1030 a.m. until noon on Central Time. You can also watch the live stream on our website, www.cutemple.org. And you can watch it on our YouTube channel, which is CU Temple. If you get an opportunity, check the last live stream. I think it's still on YouTube right now. If not, they would have switched it over to the actual sermon. I just preached a sermon on the Beatitudes this past Sunday at Christ Universal Temple. So make sure you check that lesson out. Um, Yeah, make sure you check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. I put a lot of good work into that lesson. 
uh, finally, the on the app there is a part on there called the Coleman Archives, which is sermons of Johnny Comer for four dollars and ninety-seven cent a month. You can have access to an ever-growing archive of classic Johnny Coleman sermons. All right, so. And if you want to call in really quickly, because we don't have a lot of time left, you can call in at 216 or you know what? I can't remember the number right now, so I'm not going to give it. <laughs> so let's just keep moving anyway. Uh, uh, 816-251-3555. 816-251-3555. Anyway. Or something like that. Anyway, don't worry about it. I'm sure they give it out online. You can go to the website and look it up if I mess that up. Anyway, well, five, number five. Wealth, wealth file number five. Rich people focus on opportunities. Poor people focus on obstacles. Rich people see opportunities. Poor people see obstacles. Rich people see potential growth. Poor people see potential loss. Rich people focus on rewards. Poor people focus on risks. Now, again, he's generalizing, but what he's trying to get you to see is in any situation or circumstance, there are opportunities available. But you have to have the mindset to see them. You have to have the mindset to see them. Even when you see potential problems and breakdowns, there's an opportunity in that breakdown. Because the person that can solve that breakdown and solve that problem can prosper from it, can succeed, can get elevated. Because there are people who are not at the stage of their soul development where they are really good at solving problems. That's why people who are effective at it tend to get elevated quickly. Let me give an example of how solving a problem can have unintended successful consequences. Whether you like this guy or not, um, when Oprah Winfrey was being sued for uh by the beef industry because of some comments she made on the Oprah Winfrey show she hired a company that deals with the psychology of the courtroom to make sure that you're answering questions properly that your body language is where it needs to be that you know how to you know properly communicate what you want to communicate and not get tripped up by the opposing attorneys one of the people that was a part of this corporation that she hired was a man named Dr. Phil McGraw, otherwise known as Dr. Phil. And what Dr. Phil did was prepare so well, prepare Oprah for this situation by using his skills as a former full-time psychologist that she said, you're really good at helping people solve problems. I'm going to bring you on my show. And then he was introduced. He helped people solve some problems. Eventually, he was a guest every week. And people would look forward to the Dr. Phil segment or the show. That was a part of Oprah's show. She had Dr. Phil going on one day. On another person, she had Ayanna Von Zandt, who was also really good at helping people solve problems. Life problems. And and they both were extremely elevated from that perspective. 
from that experience, from that opportunity. But their ability to solve problems is what really made it happen. He has his own show and his own TV show and all the other stuff and et cetera, et cetera. And all of the wealth that he accumulated or has accumulated over the years is basically from being in a situation and circumstance of creating a company or being a part of a creation of a company that helps people understand the psychology of the courtroom and then helping the right person who created the right opportunity and he had the talent, skills, and ability to jump in. And again, whether you like him or not is irrelevant to the point that I'm making because I know he can be polarizing to some people. My point is this. He solved the problem and he prospered greatly. Really get it. Really get it. So when opportunity was available, he was able to jump on it. Okay. So let's get back to the book. So that was an opportunity that he took advantage of. He saw the opportunity. He saw the potential growth and he walked in it. Very directly. He was prepared when the opportunity came. All right. Back to page 79. Rich people, as we said earlier, take responsibility for the results in their lives and act upon the mindset. It will work because I'll make it work. Rich people expect to succeed. Rich people expect to succeed. They have confidence in their abilities. They have confidence in their creativity. And they believe that should the blank hit the fan, they can find another way to succeed. In other words... As Les Brown used to say, it's not over until I win. Generally speaking, the higher the reward, the higher the risk because they're constantly because they constantly see opportunity. Rich people are willing to take the risk. Now, let me just add this, because this is something that Tony Robbins talks about a lot. Being a person who is has a company that's worth. uh, A couple of billion dollars. There's a difference between risk and educated risks. For instance, a risk is taking your employment check to a casino and trying to double it or triple it. That's a risk. And that's a stupid risk, in my opinion, because the odds are not in your favor. The casino was designed to win. People talk about, when, oh, I won this, I won that. They never tell you how much money they've lost over the course of the last several months or years. So if you win, that's an anomaly. You can win just enough to come back to lose more of your money. It's not created to win. An educated risk, an informed risk, an empowered risk is based upon your experience, your information, and your skills, talents, and abilities. So there are people who are who are making financial decisions that might seem risky, but they have all of their ducks in order. So it's not risky for them. 
They know what they're doing. They know why they're doing it. They've done the research. They've game planned. They have a plan A. They have a plan B, C, D, and E. So what ends up happening is somebody said, oh, that was a risk. But it was an empowered risk. It was an, it's an educated risk. And what we will do sometimes is we'll take the uneducated risk. We'll take the ignorant risk and then say, you know what? I can't live my life like that. It's too risky. No. This is why some people don't have, you know, 401ks or or retirement plans or or whatever because they're like, I don't want to take the risk. Well, get informed. Get empowered. And take some educated risks about what you're doing and why you're doing it. But here's my thing. If you take a risk and you don't know, for instance, if you want to do something that requires you to invest money and time and energy into, you need to know how you're going to get that investment back. Notice I use investment, not not risk. You need to know how you're going to get that investment back. Many times people risk instead of invest. And they don't know how they're going to get the invest. I'm using that as a parallel. In other words, it's a risk when you invest and you don't know how you're going to get that investment back and some. No, nobody should be investing for to make back what they put into a thing. You invest to get more out of what you invested. You don't, you don't when you plant a seed, you don't if you plant a tomato seed, you don't expect to get one tomato. You you expect to get a plant that has multiple tomatoes that have multiple seeds that can allow you to plant more tomato seeds to create more tomato plants that will produce more tomatoes with more seeds in them and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now you got a tomato garden. Instead of uh, people who are investing, you know, I see this sometimes with people who are in multi-level marketing and I'm not dissing multi-level marketing. I'm using this as an observation. They jump into a field. Oh, I can make money on this. And, you know, and next thing you know, they're trying to, you know, sell all their family members soap or the or or the latest this or the latest that uh, without a real plan. And then you say, like, well, you know, this thing really kind of seems like it's built on you just getting more members to sign up for this program. Do you really have a wealth plan like for real, like based upon the time, energy and money that you're putting into this? You know, most people who do multi-level marketing get in and get out because they've discovered that they put more money in than they get out of it. But they, they walked in without a plan. They walked in without structure. They walked in without knowing what they're seeking to get out of the, out of the experience. One of the things I told a person some years ago was, hey, you can learn how to do some baseline business, to be able to create a budget, to be able to figure out how to sell product and things of that nature. Use it for more than just what you think this is. Learn how to get some expertise from it. Learn what you need to learn from it so you can take it and transcend it and go beyond it. But people don't have a plan. They're just like, oh, I'm, I can get rich doing this. I can get wealthy. The people at the top are driving Porsches and whatever. Yeah, exactly. But they're at the top. And you're not mimicking what they're doing at the top. And you work on a full-time job talking about you want to sell products on the side. You know, I always tell people, by the way, for those who are in that field, uh, it's a it's a book that Robert Kiyosaki wrote called Before I Quit, Before You Quit 
before I quit my job or before you quit my your job, something like that. And he explains, before you jump out there doing some stuff that you don't have any skill in, make sure that you are empowered. And he wrote that book specifically for people who want to work in the multi-level marketing business. What you should expect, what you shouldn't expect, and why. And some, and I and I recommend it because I think it's, it makes people stop and pause. But most people don't want to stop and pause. They're making those the type of decisions around emotion. And you do need emotion, but motion, emotion should be driving your your informed and empowered investments and decisions and choices, not just having you shoot from the hip. Know the difference. Know the difference. Uh, it looks like my time has run out, and I didn't only did a couple of pages. That was not expected, but we're going to continue to teach this book until I finish it. So it is what it is. So continue to get the book. Read ahead. Work with the material. For those who want to do the 21-day challenge, listen to the last podcast. Uh, just so you know, because I have the Universal, uh, I'll be at Panorama of Truth next week and the International New Thought Alliance annual Congress, Congress the week after. I won't have any shows for the next two weeks. I'll be back on July 31st. So do the work, handle the business, and I'll be back with you in, the, in three weeks with Truth Transforms. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.